0: turn with me to mark chapter 16 as today we will wrap up our study in the book of mark this time last year or next week last year we started our study in the book of mark and we also started our worldwide uh, pandemic thing and so it's just it's fascinating to me that here we are wrapping up mark and we're almost, you know, basically a year in to the, to the book. We will, next week we'll be in Isaiah chapter 40 as we can, we'll pick up back in Isaiah and we'll be going through the second half of that book. And that's going to take us some time too, but that's okay. We got time, uh, at least until the Lord comes. And so before we go to the word, let's go to the Lord again in prayer and ask for his help with it. Let's pray. Our Lord Jesus, as we come to your word, whether we're in Mark 16 or Isaiah 40 or whatever part of the Bible we choose to go to, it is your holy word. It is for us to read concerning you, concerning our salvation, what we ought to believe and how we ought to act. And so as we come to it, Lord, we pray that you would help us because on our best days, we're still a little bit convinced that our own words would be better. And so, Lord, help us to see your word as truth, to convict us of our sin, to grow us in your grace and mercy. And we pray this in your holy name. Amen. As I read through this last bit of the gospel of Mark and we're going to be looking at the first nine verses of chapter six or eight verses excuse me of chapter 16. I'll get into why we're not going over the last bit of Mark in a little bit but it made me think of the resurrection and some of the theories about the resurrection which made me think of some other theories that are out there. One of them is that the earth is flat. And there are some pretty smart people that believe the Earth is flat. There's a really good documentary. I don't know if I've mentioned this. I feel like I have, but if I have, it's okay. There's this really good documentary on Netflix right now called Behind the Curve. Strongly recommend it. And it goes over this whole idea of the flat Earth theory and the people who kind of follow this. But the basic idea behind the theory is that the Earth, of course, is flat. That's simple. And there's this worldwide conspiracy to hide the fact that the Earth is flat, and it's complete with fake agencies, you know, like NASA that has gone up to saw otherwise. Um, And all this is just a big conspiracy to hide the true shape of the Earth. And I assume it's also everyone who's ever been up in like, you know, a commercial jet and seeing that the Earth curves a little bit, if you can see out over the horizon, has also been sworn to secrecy. I was up in a plane once and saw that the earth was actually curved, but I guess they forgot to ask me to not tell anybody. Um, so at, really at the core of this theory is just distrust for most things in general. And this is where all conspiracy theories kind of start. And so why are we talking about that? Well, 2,000 years ago, there was another theory that was built upon distrust, and it was the theory that rather than Jesus being risen from the dead, Jesus somehow got better after his crucifixion, which if you read Mark 14 and 15, you don't really I don't really understand how he could get better. But, but we got better. And rather than being public again, he, he kind of stayed in the background and his disciples crafted a lie that he ascended into heaven and did that whole thing. And in order to make this theory convincing, each one of them, including countless, countless others throughout the generations, have given their lives in violent ways so that the secret of Jesus got better would be safe. See how ridiculous these things get. And all because they couldn't accept the plain, inescapable truth that Jesus Christ rose from the dead. And to admit that, they had to admit that Jesus was right all along, and that if he was right, they had better start believing in him. Since those early days of the church, detractors have sprouted this theory, they've, distra- they've, they've had other theories, you've probably even heard them spoken to you by people who don't believe. For Christians, though, the resurrection is the most important event in history because on it, all of our hopes are found. We'll get to that idea as we look at this text and we'll also see that through the resurrection there is reconciliation there is redemption things that all people need from their creator so with that we'll look at three main ideas first the authenticity of the resurrection then reconciliation in the resurrection and then finally the fear inspired by the resurrection and so with that, let's look together at the text, Mark chapter 16, and we'll be looking at verses 1 through 8. Please stand with me in the honor of the reading of God's holy word. Mark chapter 16, starting at verse 1. When the Sabbath was passed, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, and Salome brought spices are bought spices so that they, may and they, may, they might go and anoint him. And very early on the first day of the week, when the sun had risen, they went to the tomb. And they were saying to one another, Who will roll away the stone for us from the entrance of the tomb? And looking up, they saw that the stone had been rolled back. It was very large. And they ent- And entering the tomb, they saw a young man sitting on the right side, dressed in a white robe, and they were alarmed. amen this is God's word you may be seated and so last week we mentioned briefly these three women in the story there were two Marys Mary Magdalene Mary the mother of Joseph and James and then another woman named Salome and their names would have been very important To the early church even probably had some fame associated with them and the original readers of Mark would have saw these names and be like, oh yeah, I've heard of Mary and I've heard of Salome and the different people that are mentioned here. Mary Magdalene, even in our own day, is one that's often associated with lots of silly theories. If you want to just read a little bit about her concerning Jesus and some others. And so a lot of modern day scholars have grabbed a hold of her and she has gained some secular popularity as well. But whatever the case, Mark, for Mark to mention these women in such a prominent way, not only at the close of his crucifixion account, but at the very beginning of his resurrection account, would have been a major risk to the story. Because they were women. And women's place in that society wasn't very high. One of the great th- things about the truth of the gospel is it is the hope of all people and in christ there are no distinctions and several times in the new testament we see this men and women don't get different portions of christ they get the same christ and the gospel writers as well as the rest of the new testament writers are sure to give women a prominent place in the history of the church just read the book of acts read the other gospel writers very important part of the church mark is no different as we read that these women witnessed both the crucifixion of christ and the resurrection of christ they didn't actually see jesus risen from the dead but they were there soon enough afterward to speak with an angel which was this pretty special privilege and this story and others like it lend credibility to the resurrection account and so with that let's look at the first point the authenticity of of the resurrection. We'll look again at verses 1 through 3. When the Sabbath was passed, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, and Salome bought spices that they might go and anoint him. Very early on the first day of the week, when the sun had risen, they went to the tomb, and they were saying to one another, Who will roll away the stone for us from the entrance of the tomb? I love this account of these women. They get up early on Sunday morning to go to the tomb. Jesus had just been dead for two days, and they were coming to anoint his body with spices and oil, which was common in the culture of those days. And the climate there in Jerusalem and nearby, the bodies, bodies would have very quickly. And so spices were used to kind of curb the, the smell associated with that, but it was also a way to honor the dead. And so these women were there to honor Jesus, whom they, whom they loved. They loved him. They watched him from afar as he died, which would have been this horrible thing. He shouted his last words. It is finished. They were there to hear them. And now they risk further association with him by showing up at his tomb. Remember, Joseph of Arimathea had Jesus buried in his own tomb. And the guards, there were guards placed at the tomb. We read about that in another part of the Gospels. We also read that the purpose of these gospels were to, or the purpose of these guards were to keep the disciples from stealing the body of Jesus, because Jesus had not kept it a secret up to this point. That the grave was not going to hold him. It wasn't as if he was going to give his life and then that was the end. And now we could go visit. No, he was going to give his life, and on the third day he was going to rise. And so the Jewish authorities, you know, they wanted to maybe keep this from happening, and the the Roman authorities were also didn't want anyone taking the body of Christ or Christ somehow escaping. So they, they placed guards as if that was going to keep him from doing anything at all. And then they rolled this big stone in the way, you know, which would have easily kept some fishermen and some tax collectors or some women going to see him. But it would not keep, of course, the son of man at all. But these women went to the tomb anyway. And it wasn't until they were even on their way they kind of get the idea they get together they bought these spices and then they're on the way to the tomb and then they realize oh wait who's going to roll the stone out of the way so that we can uh get in there they, they weren't going to be able to budget but notice there was no need for them to do that it had already been rolled away I love that, you know, Mark makes sure that we understand the, the nature of the stone verse four and looking up, they saw the stone had been rolled back. It was very large to make sure that we understand that this wasn't just some small stone. It was a large stone that was in the way of this tomb. There's no ordinary feet. And so they get there and they're like, OK, what's going on? There probably aren't any guards around, obviously, either. They wouldn't have been able to walk up. The guards at this point are probably scared to death for their lives. So they walk in and they see an angel. And the angel tells them where Jesus is. He's gone because he is risen from the dead. And then he gives them a task. And their task is to go tell the disciples and Peter what had happened. Understand, these women are the first witnesses to the most important event in human history. Which is pretty incredible. If the gospel writers like Mark and Matthew and others, and the New Testament writers had wanted to fabricate a story for the early church, why would they have picked these women to be the first ones to see it and then to go and tell others? Women, again, were second-class citizens in that day and time. to, to, To say that they were the ones that gave the story would have not given that story any kind of credibility. Instead, it would have done the opposite, But the New Testament writers weren't concerned about that. Instead, they were concerned with the truth, and so that's what they told, and that is the account that has stood the test of time. Paul later writes about this in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Turn with me there, please. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. It is the definitive chapter on the resurrection. If you're ever wondering anything about the resurrection at all, 1 Corinthians 15 answers that question more than likely including the just the credibility of the account, and we'll look at that in these first eight verses. So look with me at 1 Corinthians fifteen one through 8, and I'll read this. Now, I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain." Also to me. And so Paul lists 500 plus people who were a witness to the fact that Jesus Christ in fact did not die, but he was risen from the dead. This wasn't a story that was made up by a few upset women who were going to see the one that they loved or by the apostles in order to start some sort of religion so that they might gain richness and and fame for for starting this religion or have power over people which has been said by some it was telling something that was true and profound something that would cost most of these people their very lives including paul the apostle it would cost him his life mark the one who wrote this gospel he was killed for what he believed this wasn't some crazy theory born out of distrust and religious fanaticism. This is a true account of actual events. Jesus didn't get better and then lead the church from some secret location. He died. But he was risen. He ascended into heaven in front of many witnesses. He is right now at the right hand of the Father. And because this is true, because that is true of Jesus, it gives hope to everyone who believes. And then it should strike fear into anyone who doesn't. For those who believe, this is the hope of absolute reconciliation. The thing that Jesus preached about is the thing that we can have because he is risen. And that brings me to the reconciliation in the resurrection. Look with me at verses 7 and 8 of Mark 16. But go, and this is the the message from the angel. But go, tell his disciples and Peter that he is going to you, going to Galilee. There you will see him. Just as he told. And they went out and they fled from the tomb. Trembling in astonishment had seized them. And they said nothing to anyone. For they were afraid. Just not gloss over the fact. Who they were supposed to tell. They were supposed to tell the disciples. And Peter. Peter is singled out here. He's specifically mentioned by this angel. Remember, the angel's just a messenger. Their very name means messenger. And so that's all they are. Jesus had a message for this angel to give to the people that would come to see him. And it the message was, tell them, I want to see them. And tell Peter, I want to see him. Jesus had some unfinished business with Peter. Remember the night that Jesus was crucified or the... Early that morning when Peter was in the crowd in the priest's courtyard and he was watching that trial that took place, and right before he denied him what did he do? He looked at Jesus and he saw and they met they made eye contact with one another. Jesus knew exactly what was going on. Peter knew that Jesus knew. Peter loved Jesus and as soon as he received this news, from the women they came back and we get this in the other gospel accounts he ran to the tomb and he says he stuck his head in to see if it was true luke tells us that peter saw that it was true and ran off marveling at what had happened and then later john gives us the account of peter and jesus talking with one another and peter being reconciled to him And from there, we read about Peter in the book of Acts. One of the the most incredible characters of the the early church, obviously, is the Apostle Peter. And seeing the transformation that took place in him as a preacher of the gospel. He preached the gospel to the people there at Pentecost. And what do you think the focus of his message was? It was the resurrection. Turn with me to Acts chapter 3. Remember, this is the one that denied Jesus three times because he was scared of what might happen to him. And in Acts chapter 3, he is out preaching the gospel, even though he's been told not to. And so look with me at verses 13 and following of Acts chapter 3. The God of Abraham... The God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, the God of our fathers glorified his servant Jesus, whom you delivered over and denied in the presence of Pilate when he had decided to release him. But you denied the holy and righteous one and asked for a murderer to be granted to you. And you killed the author of life whom God raised from the dead. To this we are witness In his name, by faith in his name, you has made this man strong, whom you see and know. And the faith that through Jesus has given the man perfect health in the presence of you all. And now, brothers, I know that you acted in ignorance, as did also your rulers. But what God foretold by the mouth of all the prophets that his Christ would suffer, he thus fulfilled. Repent, therefore. And turn back that your sins may be blotted out. This is He's telling this to the Jewish leadership. The ones that crucified Christ. Repent that your sins may be blotted out. That times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. And that he may send the Christ appointed for you, Jesus whom heaven must receive until the time for restoring all things about which God spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets long ago. And he goes on. Fantastic passage, Acts chapter 3. Notice the trajectory of his sermon, though. Hey, people, you did these horrible things. You killed the author of life, but he's still alive, and in him, your sins can be blotted out. Those sins that you committed can be blotted out. Not only that, but there's a time of refreshing that is coming. When Jesus is going to restore all things. And this truth wasn't just for some future time. This truth this truth was for them right then. And Peter, the preacher of this message, stood as a perfect testament to that, did he not? Peter, who watched Jesus be tried and denied Him three times. Has now found reconciliation. And now is going to go on and serve him faithfully until his death. Because in Christ there's reconciliation. Your sins are blotted out. There can be a time of refreshing. But notice what this requires. What Peter says this requires. Repent. And believe. For Christians repentance should be a normal part of our lives. When we wrong others, when we wrong our Lord, we go and we find reconciliation. The Lord is is free, and He will give us that reconciliation. And He wants us to experience that freedom that we have in Him. Just as we should do with one another. We should forgive one another so that there can be reconciliation. So what are we waiting for? What are you waiting for? Do you have something this morning that... You just enjoy holding on to as your pet sin so that you can feel bitter. Rather than let it eat away at you slowly, go to Jesus, turn from your sins, find forgiveness and refreshment. If Peter found it, we can, any one of us can. And if you're not a believer, please hear and see this, because this message is also for you. There is no other way for you to find forgiveness and peace except through the name, the man, the one Jesus Christ, because he is not dead. He is alive. And so because he's alive, he is currently able to offer you life. And he does that through belief in him. He is able to offer you freedom from guilt and oppression, freedom from shame. You need only call upon his name to have your sins blotted out to receive refreshment for your souls. And that brings me to the last point, the fear inspired by the resurrection. And so Mark chapter 16, verses 9 through 20, there's this whole other section That is associated with the last part of Mark, but probably were not actually written by Mark. Probably not in the original version of his account. There's nothing wrong with these verses as you read them. They're good things. But... I just didn't include them in my sermon because of the controversy concerning them. I don't think they're Mark's words. Therefore, I don't think they're the word of God. Again, there's nothing wrong with them. And you might disagree with me on that. And that's okay. The church has been split on that. But I just didn't include them. So when I read the book of Mark, my understanding of Mark's account for us is that verse 8 is his final words to us. And they end with the words for they were afraid it's an interesting way to end a book and if this isn't the first time that you've read mark this may come as a bit of a shock but as we've read through the book of mark and as we've studied it over the last over the course of the last year i think that you could say that this has been a common theme has it not That when people came face to face with what Christ was doing, with the works of Christ, with Jesus Christ himself, people oftentimes had this experience of being afraid. Remember, when Jesus calmed the storm, as we talked about that, he was in the boat with the disciples. How did they react when Jesus stood up and said, peace, be still, and everything just listened to him all of a sudden? The text says they were filled with great fear, the disciples, these men who walked and lived with Jesus. They were filled with great fear and said to one another, who is that or who is this? that The wind and waves obey him. Remember when Jesus healed the man called Legion, remember he he spoke to the man and the man had demons in him. And he said, my name is Legion, for we are Many. And he drove those demons into the pigs. Remember that. And Legion had, re- had just been a nuisance to the people of the land. And they thought of this man, Legion, as just one who was this horrible individual and who had demons in him and they scared everybody. But when the people came to see what had went on, they saw Legion sitting next to Jesus. And, G- and he was sitting next to him. And the text says that he was sitting there in his right mind. And... Rather than be like, oh, good, relief. What did they think when they saw Jesus sitting next to Legion in his right mind? It said that they were afraid. Not of Legion, but of one that was sitting next to him, Jesus. And when Jesus was transfigured on the mountain, they were afraid. They couldn't find the words to say to this one that they, had, they walked and they lived with. They didn't know how to ask him questions about what had happened. And when we read here that Mary and Mary and Salome were afraid. That they were trembling and full of astonishment. Could it be true that Jesus who said he would be raised from the dead. That it actually happened. Why would Mark choose to end his account with these words? Well. It helps us to see how he began his account. So turn with me back to Mark chapter 1. Mark helps us in chapter 1, verse 1. He lets us know really early what he's all about. Mark chapter 1, verse 1. In the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. He's not getting ready to prove to us that Jesus is the son of God. That's a statement that needs no proof. As it is written in Isaiah, the prophet, behold, I send my messenger before your face who will prepare your way. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord of Jesus. Make his paths straight. We're going to be quoting from this passage again next week as we study this exact passage in Isaiah. It's is from Isaiah chapter 40. We're going to be looking at this. Notice here that Mark, again, he starts his book that by telling us that Jesus is the Son of God. And Isaiah 40 is about Jesus also. When Isaiah wrote the words, Make, faith, make straight the paths of the Lord. Isaiah here is using the proper name for God, Yahweh, when he says Lord. And so what is Mark then associating with that God of the Old Testament? He's saying Jesus is the one that Isaiah wrote about all those years ago. He's the one that John the Baptist is telling you about. He's the one that I'm telling you about. He is the Son of God. The same Yahweh that said, let there be light... That said to Moses, take off your sandals from your feet. This place where you stand is holy ground. The one that Isaiah saw in the temple, seated on his throne, high and lifted up. God Almighty throughout all the scriptures is none other than Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And so when you come face to face with Jesus Christ, Son of God, there's only one proper response. You fall on your face and you worship You walk away with reverential fear, reverence for the Son of Man, Jesus Christ. It's what He deserves. Jesus is the very Son of God, second person of the Trinity. Little by little, the disciples came to that conclusion as they lived and they ministered with Him. They saw it before their own eyes. He spoke to the storm and it listened. And the reader of Mark must come to that same conclusion as they read these final words. That the first witnesses that coming from the tomb, they, they came with, they left the tomb with, with fear and with trembling for what they had just seen and what they had just heard. And so, what do you do with this? Brothers and sisters in Christ, what do you do with this? If you're not here and you're not a believer this morning, what do you do with this? Unfortunately, Christianity has lost this in modern-day America. We tend to paint a picture of Jesus as someone who is our buddy, who's just waiting, he's standing by, just waiting for us to ask him for things so he can go get them for us. And really all the Christian life is is just reaching out and getting the things that are already ours. And if we just try a little harder with a little help from our buddy, we can do all that we need to do in this life. That's not the Jesus that we read about here. We've studied the book of Revelation together, too. We know that when Jesus comes back, he's not coming out to pass out hugs and high fives. He's going to bring a sword and he's going to divide the sheep from the goats, those that are his and those that are not his. And so the only question as we read and we finish up the book of Mark is, do you know him? When you hear this account, are you thinking, oh, that's something? Or are you thinking, what a mighty God we serve? I can't possibly know how, you, how it is that you see Jesus, but I can remind you what he requires. And if you go back to Mark chapter 1, he, he began by preaching this very message. The time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. And that's what I'll leave you with this morning. Christian, remember, you have been reconciled. You're free in that. That means that no matter how bad you've messed up, he receives you, and he is refreshment to your soul. But let us also then be ones who know this message also for ourselves, but are quick to offer this same gospel message to a dying world. Tell them the hope that we have in Jesus Christ, Son of God. Let's go to him in prayer. Our Lord Jesus. We are captivated as we read these last words. From your servant Mark. As we read his first words. That you are the son of God. Lord help us. Help us to know what it means. To love you but also to have a right fear, to have a right respect and worship of you. And Lord, help us to find comfort in that, that there is comfort there because we're no longer your enemies, but you call us your children. And so Lord, help us to find comfort for our souls, to find rest and refreshment there. And where we find it, that others might find it also, and that we would be faithful to preach the plain message of the gospel. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.